Hello? Okay. I'm reading from Galatians 2, verse 20, and then chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. One, two, one, two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, and yeah, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, we are starting a brand new teaching series. If you're a teenager, Aiden's got something for you. This is a little bit different. It's got the Bible verse on it and a few extra things for you guys to think about uh, while we listen to God's word today. Um, we're starting this series called Life Beyond the seven deadly sins. And you'll notice with this uh, and with the material that goes along with it, the study booklets and the, the, um, the graphics and things, it's all going to look very professional. Uh, and it's because we're actually um, borrowing or, or accessing a resource that, um, that goes all together. Uh, one of the resources that will come with that is actually a set of daily Bible reading notes um, I haven't printed any of those. It would be a, a mountain of printing. Uh, but if you're someone that lives in the print world, then um, feel free to ask me for that. And otherwise, look out for it in your email. Um, I don't want to disrupt your own... Good, guys? I don't want to disrupt your own Bible reading habits, but um, if it's something that will help you to kick off then um, can I commend that to you and, and encourage you to look out for that. Uh, let's pray one more time as we come to look, to look at this now. Our loving Father, we give you great thanks uh, for this day. I uh, thank you that we can be gathered in this place, uh, that it's cooler. Thank you that we have one another. Thank you that we're not left on our own, but we have your word that teaches us, that speaks to us, that you speak through. 
We thank you, Lord, that you have put your spirit in our hearts. So, Father, we ask and pray this morning that you would guide us, that you would lead us, and that you would mould us further into the likeness of your son, Jesus, for his sake and in his mighty name we pray. Amen. My wife, Tara, is not here this morning, but I did ask permission to share with you about her gardening efforts. Uh, in the springtime, we, we're, at the moment, we're living with my mum and dad's house underneath it, out the road, and in the springtime, Tara got very inspired to kind of revive a garden that was there and actually convert it from just a garden of, of it's got bamboo, which kind of grows everywhere and, or anywhere, and other things like that, to actually turn it into a veggie garden. And so she began, she dug it out, dug deep down. It's an above-the-ground garden, and she worked hard to dig and dig and dig and dig until we could dig a lot of it out to put new fertile soil in it. And mum and dad were very kind. They ordered a truckload of dirt in, and we, we bucketed it in and wheelbarrowed it in and filled up this garden with all this new dirt. And we got new seeds. And we got new plants. Tara even went to the farmer's market in Lismore. No, she went to the, not the everyday farmer's market, but the organic farmer's market in Lismore to get the, you know, the top grade. She, I think she must have seen one of those docos on like how to live off the grid or something like that and get all green, green and that. Mum and dad have told me that their water bills doubled because we've been watering this thing every day and we're probably half the reason why we're on water restrictions at the moment. But... To watch this thing uh, grow and, and things start to shoot on it or, or flower or little fruits start to form, it's a pretty exciting thing. That was, of course, until it was so hot over summer that the like, watermelons that started to grow didn't really get much bigger than footballs. And then we were like, oh, maybe that's how big it'll get. We'll cut it and up. it's just nothing inside. The kangaroos ate that one. We had a rock melon form and it was looking beautiful. Rock melons, we know, take 100 days. Did you know that? They take 100 days. Uh, after 100 days, we had one rock melon. It was about the size of a cricket ball. It tasted pretty good, but you certainly didn't, um, didn't fill up on it. We actually had tomatoes and zucchinis, uh, a plenty, but bugs and stuff ate more of them than we actually did. And zucchinis, we got them to grow really easy, but they're still zucchinis, and who really wants to eat a zucchini anyway? Now, I don't know whether you can relate to that kind of gardening effort, uh, but think about your life. Our failures aren't confined just to gardening, are they? The areas of our life where we fall short of our own hopes, our own dreams, even our own standards are not just in the garden. It's one thing to be a black thumb rather than a green thumb. Is that an expression? Anyway, it works, doesn't it? A black thumb rather than a green thumb. But what about when you feel like a black thumb at life? You feel like for all your effort, you can't get anywhere. This is a little graphic. And this graphic might help us to identify some of this. Sometimes we feel like in life we're kind of below this waterline. And what happens when you're below water? You, you're drowning, aren't you? We feel drowned. We're struggling, not going well. 
Sometimes we go through life and we feel like, yeah, we're, we're above the waterline. We're, we're, you know, going really good. We're, we're kicking goals in a sense. Sometimes in our Christian faith, we might look at it the other way and recognize that, oh, we've got our life centered on God and we're happy about that. Or at other times, we can feel like God's just not there or, or for whatever reason, we're struggling to put him at the center where we believe he should be. And it can be hard and it can be confusing. The aim for what we're doing in this teaching series is to come at the question, to, to come up with a, the Bible's answer and hear God speak to us on where real change actually comes from, where the fruit of the Spirit actually grows. So we've got to remember that the big change, the big change of receiving Jesus, for the most of us has happened. When we've received Jesus, be that 5, 10, 15, 20, however many years ago, that's happened. There's people that are here that, that that's just happened really recently. And you guys are, are, are flying by uh, on the excitement and the momentum that's come with that. But that is the big change, isn't it? And like we learned in Romans 6 about three or four weeks ago now, when that big change has happened, we are on, on the other side of sin. We are on the other side of sin where we are now free to live a new life. Later in Romans, another verse that we also looked at reminded us that we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. There's an ongoing process happening in each of our lives, having received Jesus, where we are saved and being made like the Saviour who saved us. And so we get to Galatians here this morning, and we hear Paul writing about a fruitful life. And we've got to remember, this is not fine print. This is not like the next steps. Jesus gave his life for us. And in doing that, he gives us a new fruitful life. Now, honestly, do you see that fruit in your life? Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you look like that nice green apple there. Or you can see things in your life that represent that healthy fruit. But at other times, you just might struggle. You might not be sure. You might have doubts. You might doubt that Jesus has made any difference at all. Well, we're in the book of Galatians this week and next week as we start out on this series. And Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians to a group of churches in Galatia. Now, these group of churches had made a mistake Having received Jesus, they were now desperate to prove that they were good enough to be called Christians. Somehow, having received Jesus by grace, they'd, they'd kind of thought that they now had to show that they were worthy of receiving that grace. And the result of that is, they had no actual fruit. 
that had no actual fruit in your life. Like, the fruit of the Spirit is a fantastic memory verse, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that I want a fridge magnet to remind myself of. But in the context, Paul is not commending or praising the fr- or even thanking God for the fruits he's seeing in these lives. He's saying to a bunch of people that look like that rotten apple who've tried in their own effort that this is what fruit really looks like. See, they'd started well, but earlier in chapter 5, Paul had said this to them, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And what they have, are falling, why they're falling away is because they actually haven't properly seen the problem of sin. They haven't properly understood the problem of sin. And we live in a world, I think, where sin is not an understood word at all. Okay, we might talk about the sin bin in a, in a sporting game, and, you know, especially if you're a Queensland supporter, you know your team never gets sent there because they pay off the refs, but, but we, we understand, you know, that sin is like this discrepancy or something like that, but generally, I think we live in a, in a world, in a culture, in a society where people don't really see much of a problem, where we think that people are basically good people and they just need, you know, maybe if they had some slightly better circumstances or a little bit more education or something like that, that they might be able to improve a little bit. There are some people that do see problems. See, we can probably say that there's a fair few people that see problems in the world. You get activists for all kinds of stuff, don't you? They see the problem, but they still probably think that people are basically good and they just need a little bit of help. So they have their own ideas of how they can improve the world. They turn to politics or they turn to philanthropy or they turn to uh, fundraising or charity or things like that. As Christians, we can struggle. We can struggle in seeing the problem of sin. We've got to ask ourselves, do we trust completely? Do we trust completely that we're saved only by the work of Jesus? Because otherwise, we can be like the Galatians as well. They were people that thought, oh, I know that you know, I've received Jesus, but I've got this from here, God. I've got this. I can bring a godly life about all by myself. Now, actually... Someone pointed out to me that that same attitude can actually be present but lead us in the opposite direction as well. We might know that we've received Jesus, but, but we kind of have the opposite attitude where we think, I've now got to live up to that and just fail at it and think, woe is me. Woe is me. I, I can't get this Christian thing together because I'm completely trying to do it in my own effort. I hope this morning that as a believer, you want to see fruit in your life. You want your faith to mean something, your life to be about something. And so the most helpful thing we can know and remember and believe is that sin is the enemy of life. It is the enemy of true living. But a fruitful life is what results when we put everything, 
our hope and faith all in Jesus. See, we can't find any of this fruit apart from the continuing work of Jesus in our life. Galatians 2, 5.24. We'll get to this at the end of the passage, but I want to bring it up now. The path of seeing that fruit is like Paul says here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And that word flesh, he's talking about where our sin nature comes from. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then we need to look at the sin. We need to know it. It's kind of like that saying, you need to know your enemy, don't you? Know your enemy so that you know how to, how to combat it. So that we can crucify it. That is to kill it. And that's where we come to this new series of the seven deadly sins. In Galatians, in that reading that we've had, we have a list of sins. They are not the seven deadly sins. There's more than seven there. In fact, this seven deadly sin list isn't a list that you find in the Bible. That's not to say that it's not stuff that is in the Bible. There's plenty in the Bible that, that we'll, we will learn from. We're not learning from something else. But this set of lists, uh, seven sins, is something that actually goes way back in church history. I think I read to about 600, 600 A.D., and if you think about the people back then, they were living in pretty preliterate times. So they would do things like this to distill down uh, some teachings so that it was memorable. Having said that, there's lots of unhelpful stuff on the seven deadly sins. There's lots of unhelpful things and ways that it's been taught, taught in the past. Sometimes if you have any kind of Catholic background, there's a lot of confusion over sin being like ranked one above the other. It can confuse us if we look at this the wrong way to think that maybe these are like a list of sins that if we trip up on one of them, we somehow disqualify ourselves. We don't want to go into any of that. See, because while they're not in any one Bible verse, they are all spoken about in the Bible and sin is deadly. All sin is deadly. Now, does anyone know what they are? You might have heard these. You might not have ever had teaching on this. I'll, I'll share them with you. These are the seven. The first is pride, and then anger, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth, and greed. And they're not actually just seven individual things. These are all things that are intertwined. They're all tied up with one another. They interact in your life with your own sinful heart or with your flesh, like Paul's written about, your sinful heart and your sinful mind. And I think they actually break out in our life kind of like pimples on a teenager's face. They come out at different times. You will have seen these. You will know these. You will know some of them quite intimately. But what we're actually talking about this term is life beyond these seven deadly sins. The life that Jesus be offers beyond these. This is not going to be seven weeks of self-improvement. Not trying harder or taking over from God because he's the one that actually saves us. But there is something very helpful about doing what we're going to do. That is knowing ourselves better. Honestly. 
Letting God's word be the mirror that it can be. Because it's written by a saving God, isn't it? It's written by a God who, who, who wants to bring fruit about in our lives. And so we're coming to this to know about the life that God offers beyond the power of these things. See, when we see in life that we're struggling below that waterline, when we're struggling and battling around, things aren't going well. Well, see, when God enables us to know ourselves, to see ourselves as we truly are, to see our heart and mind and our relationships and see when they're not centred on him, him, we actually see that when we're a believer, we are have the opportunity for a life that is beyond the power of these things to rule our life. We're going to see that God's power to do that is found at the cross, in the message of the cross, the message of God's forgiveness, his compassion, and the complete acceptance that we know in him. This week and next week, we're setting up the framework. So we're not going to hit pride until, what will it be, the 23rd of Feb. There's a lot to say before we tackle any of them today, and there'll be a lot to say next week. And so each week after that, we will tackle through each of these seven sins. In your groups, in your community groups, this is why it's so important, if you can be, to be involved in one of these, because it's going to bring up a lot, a lot to talk about. Because we actually want to grow in understanding and in living the good life that comes beyond these things. And we've got to think, how do we find that good life? For the Galatians, they actually serve, like I've said, as negative examples. See, they wrongly thought that it came from their religiosity from trying to obey God's Old Testament laws. If you read through the book of Galatians, they actually want to circumcise a whole bunch of people who were never Jews. Now, I'm not going to go into that. And you can study that for yourself and you can read up on that, but it gets to a point where Paul makes such a mockery of what they're doing that he says they might as well go on, what's the word? Emasculate themselves. Now, because there's young ones here, I don't want to describe what that is. But he says, you guys are so foolish. Jesus says to them through Paul in this letter that even to obey God's laws, they've fallen away from his grace. Later in Galatians, he says to them, how is it that having received Jesus, you guys are going back to these weak and miserable forces? What they're trying to do is completely useless at producing the good life. They're trying to beat sin in our own effort. Well, it's weak and it's miserable. There's a story, um, there's a big American preacher, it's his story, but it fits so well that I'll, I'll share it. He had an apple tree. In his, in his home and for years and years this apple tree did kind of what Tara's garden did. It would start to blossom, 
It would start to grow fruit. The fruit would be sparse and kind of stunted and not very appealing and pretty much completely inedible. So his wife said to him, that tree, we just need to get rid of it. We need to give it, go and cut it down, dig it out, be gone with it. But in his stubbornness, rather than doing that, Said, yeah, 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 I'll go down. I'll go down to the store to get the, the, the gear that I need. Out to Bunnings. He actually lives in America, so I don't know, whatever their American Bunnings is. Walmart or something like that. And what did he come back with? No chainsaws, no shovels. He came back with a bag of apples and a staple gun. <laughs> in his stubbornness, he was so determined to see fruit on this tree that he ripped all the rotten fruit off and stapled fruit to this tree that could bear none of its own. That's a picture of the Galatian church here. That's what they were effectively trying to do. Trying to produce godliness in our own effort is like that. It might last for a while, but what's going to happen to that fruit on that tree? You could pick it and eat it, and it might be good for a moment. You could let it sit there and it might look pretty for a few days. It's not going to last. It's never going to produce fruit of its own. We can't produce fruit in our own effort. And it's actually not even about the fruit. It's about the heart, isn't it? See, these Galatians, they're actually still in love with sin. They're still in love with indulging in sin. You might know about the wicked camper vans. Uh, you might see them around the surf club. They're pretty controversial. They're pretty disgusting most of the time. But this slogan was painted on one of them, and it actually gets to the heart of the truth about sin. Misquoting a passage in Romans there, it says, the wages of sin is death. What's that, Romans 6, 23, I think? But what have they written? But the hours are good. This is what the Galatian church knows, that sin is appealing. They're still in love with it, but they're alienated of Jesus because they're not seeing fruit, because they're not having their hearts penetrated by what Jesus has done. They're relying on their own performance, and they've fallen away from the message of God's forgiveness, compassion, and complete acceptance that we know in Jesus. And so Paul isn't backwards in coming forward, is he? That list that Nat read for us of what their heart is actually producing, sexual immorality, hatred, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. It's not far off this list, is it? And you and I trying in our own effort to be godly, that's the kind of stuff that we will break out in, like the pimply teenage face. If we're trying to do it in our own effort, it'll be like a never-ending game of whack-a-mole. I don't know if you've ever played that thing. But just trying to put out a sin here or a sin there. Or maybe you've played Fruit Ninja on your phone. Does anyone know what that is, or is that a bit outdated? You guys know what I mean? Fruit ninja, there's like fruit flies up, you're a ninja, you've got to 
machete or something and you cut the fruit in half and score a point. Well, the more that you go on in that game, this is like an app on your phone, the more that you go on in that game, just the more fruit that keeps coming. And you're swiping and you're swiping and the only way that it ends is when it just all becomes too much and it all just goes game over. Trying to kill sin in our own effort has that trajectory. Game over. Despair. Now you might be here this morning not convinced that you're a believer in Jesus. And so I want to ask you, does that, is that resonate with how life is? Is this your life? Where you see your life, would you say that you're just trying to constantly put out fires everywhere, only to see new things starting here and there? Well, it's the same message if you're not a believer yet as it is for those who are believers. It's the message that we know and treasure The message of where life beyond this comes from is the message of where life always comes from and it's in what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the one that gives us this life beyond the seven deadly sins. So we want to ask, how can we go from faking it if that's what we're doing? If what I'm saying to you this morning is resonating with you because honestly, that is how you're trying to live this Christian life. How can you go from faking it to actually producing fruit in your life? To be real, where the good stuff really is there in your life. Coming from who you actually are through God. Well, Paul says it in that first verse that Nat read out. Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that God's power to be real before God and people and produce real fruit is found in the message of Jesus. In his death and in his powerful resurrection. How does that actually work? How does the message of God's power do more than just save us? How does it actually change us? And it's a good question. See, every person you know, every single person you know, including the person that you saw in the mirror this morning, if you dared to look, struggles with those seven deadly sins. There's no one that doesn't struggle with these things. Whether we believe in God or not, we all have problems with our attitudes and our behaviours in these areas of our life. So how is the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, God's power to change us? Well, firstly, the message of the cross gives us a fresh start. You grow by sinking into that reality. That no matter how much this may break out in your life, when you have received Jesus, he has accepted you not on the basis of the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit, what your life looks like, but solely on the basis of what Jesus did. Now, if that 
doesn't start to motivate you to know that freedom to change, I don't know what will, but that grace that he did that is actually how he goes on, how he goes on bringing about this change in our life. That you can come to God for the first time and be accepted, not by what you've done, but what what Jesus has done for you at the cross. And then, as you find in life you've got these wrong attitudes and behaviours, don't deal with it by faking it. Don't deal with it by putting on a good front, by stapling apples onto your tree of your life. You talk with God. He knows your heart. He, he invites us to bring our heart to him. You talk to others. You talk to yourself. You fill your life with the truth and the promises of his word. And you rely on his forgiveness, his compassion and complete acceptance. And that is the basis of change in the Christian life. It comes from no other place. I've faked it before. I've been caught up in that. I'm tempted to be caught up in that. But you know what I've always found is it works for a while and then you just go crazy because you have no assurance. When you're relying on your own effort, when is your effort ever enough? Most of you have probably faked it at some point. I believe that there's whole church cultures where the whole premise is that you fake it. The whole culture is about putting on the good front. If you want to know if you're faking it, what part of your life are you hiding? Not, not what is private. There's parts of our lives that are private and there's things that we you know, are alone before God in. But what, what are you hiding? Like what do you believe that somehow you're fooling God over? That's how you know if you're faking it. Which of those sins listed up there do you want to conveniently be away for when we preach on it? The life we bring to Jesus doesn't ever need to be perfect. It is never a demand that God has placed on us to bring before him a perfect life that he would give us salvation. It can't be. He redeems it. He makes it new. Right now as a believer, he is growing a new heart in you. He is piecing you back together and he wants to bring about fruit in your life. What Jesus has done is is it's like as if we got Costa Geordiatis to actually move in at our house and sit outside 24-7 and keep that garden going. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You could all come around for a feed. But even more than that, Jesus is complete in what he has done for us. He was crucified for every sin that you have committed. He was raised to show you with certainty that what he offers you is on the other side of the payment for that sin. 
We are crucified to that sinful life and raised to a new way of living. See, Paul uses this graphic language of the cross. I've been crucified with Christ to really make us understand that this is where change happens. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says in verse 24 of the reading that we had, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is about God enabling us to see ourselves as accepted by him in Jesus. See, the power of our old way of living is overcome not by our efforts, but by God's forgiveness, compassion, and complete acceptance. And so he writes verse 25. Since then we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is to say, if this is what God is doing in our lives, let's keep up with him. Let's partner with him. Let's not fight against it. Let's not resist. Let's not think that we need to bring things that we need to take over from here. No, we keep coming back to the foot of the cross. From this place of God's forgiveness, his compassion and complete acceptance in Jesus, we learn to overcome pride. We learn to overcome anger and envy. Our lustful thoughts, our gluttonous behaviour, our laziness and our greediness. This is how we find that life beyond the seven deadly sins. Whether you're struggling to be the ideal person by your own efforts or actually sitting here this morning thinking, I've got this all together, or actually crying out that kind of woe is me cry, saying I'm crushed by the pressure to have it all together. I want you to think, how can you actually grow in God's new way of life. Well, it's to live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, Paul writes. Shift your attention there. At this very moment, see yourself as you really are, accepted and loved, who loved you, gave himself for you. This is the picture for this series. A tree, a living tree that's planted in this good soil, naturally producing this beautiful fruit. See, people who have God's Spirit alive in them produce fruit in their lives only because of Jesus. Make the habit to be here. Make the habit to be here. To extend the metaphor, we actually like pollinate one another as we join together through word and prayer and loving each other. Take part in a gospel community group and use that opportunity to dwell on that image of God growing fruit in people. In the stuff that I'm going to email out to you, read it, engage with it. It's actually even got a family devotion in it. If, you're not, if you've got kids in your house and you're not in the habit of doing that, use it as an opportunity to start. Because while God's word is a mirror, it's also full of promises, isn't it? It's the promises that will keep us coming back, refining that faith, 
Faith in Jesus is only powered by God's Spirit. We give up trying to overcome life's challenges just by faking it. We let that way of living die and join with Paul in living out that truth. Living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. We've got lots to pray about. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we give you great thanks for the hope and the joyful news of your acceptance, your forgiveness. Lord, of your complete work, not just to save us, to rescue us from our sin, but Lord, to bring us into a new life, to give us a new life, to grant us peace. Lord, the peace of knowing that that resting in you is where a fruitful life will come from. Lord, as we set out on this, Lord, help us to resist the, the temptations we might have to, to continue to hide or cover up. Lord, too, the urge that we might have to, to still hold on to something and, and try in some way in our own effort. Lord, help us to put all that we have to place all of our hope and faith in you and what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.